Hi everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Mariana. I'm the curator at Open Eye Gallery, and I have the artist Jocelyn McGregor with me. Over the next 45 minutes or so, we'll be talking about Jocelyn's practice, her approach, and some of the themes that run through her work, which will be exhibited at Castlefield Gallery in May, if all goes well. This podcast is also coming out just in time for International Women's Day. The exhibition that Joss is working on is a members exhibition and it was selected through an open call which I had the chance to guest select with Castlefield Gallery curator Matthew Pendergast. The aim of the members exhibition is to support members of the associate scheme to support and deliver ambitious projects and to really think beyond standard exhibition formats. So just to begin, Joss, can you start by describing your artwork to give listeners an idea of what your practice is and what it looks like? Yeah, so um, I guess generally speaking, I mainly make sculptures and sculptural installations. Um, although over lockdown, I've been expanding this by animating my sculptures uh, with stop motion animation and creating wearable sculptures, which you'll hopefully see in the show. Um, generally, uh, in terms of my practice, I like to explore the point of transition between internal and external, real and imagined, and the natural and manufactured world. Um, I often use my own body and my, my experiences as a starting point or a conduit for, for that conversation. Um, I get the materials that I use, domestic fabrics, uh, beauty products. Uh, I then combine them with earth pigments, industrial materials, building materials, uh, because I think it's through those juxtapositions or those kind of monstrous concoctions that you often find um, surprising similarities between those materials and I think that's that really adds to what I try and bring out in my work so um so yeah the resulting sculptures appear like a sort of supernatural hybrid of a natural and unsynthetic um so whether that's a human animal hybrid or a body machine or a landscape of kind of overgrown hair extensions that's usually how it comes to fruition <laughs> can you talk also just a little bit about like the scale of the artworks. So if people are seeing these in real life or in person, like what is the scale between the viewer's body and the artwork themselves? Mm, I think that's a really interesting one because I think I usually get quite a lot of comments about not people not knowing what the heck the scale is. Mm. Um, so I think, I mean, obviously because there's a lot of body casting and a lot of sort of addendums to my own body or um you know that that kind of element to it and hopefully in this exhibition um the work will be animated uh, by actors whether that's over a, a, a film or in person we don't know yet but so from that perspective their body scale but i think i kind of try like to mess with my own head usually because i make these in my own studio but um the viewer's head in terms of what exactly the scale of their own body is. And I think in terms of machines, for example, the, the single human body could be turned into a, a huge, powerful machine, like a tractor or an aeroplane or something. Wow. Um, so I think I kind of like to play with that, that actually this one, we have like relatively small, um, small bodies can sort of become these big, monstrous, incredibly powerful um machines like through through kind of adding parts mm. um yeah 
And when you're talking about like having people animate the artworks or kind of wear the artworks, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how are you directing them and what do they become when they're wearing the artworks? So this is kind of, I mean, obviously this is all really COVID dependent and which is, mm. um, you know, whether, whether I can have that thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in my, in my dream world, in my dream um, circumstance where everyone can come together. <laughs> Um, I was it's something I've been working towards for a while and in all honesty I don't 100% know how it's gonna turn out like it's a new step for me in my practice um, I think my practice is always a lot of my sculptures very recently have had the potential for movement or being worn mm. or animated in some way being interacted with by the human body um, but I've never taken it there before so this is it's a risk and it's yeah it's just something for me to try out to be like you know what does that do to scale what does that do to the way the actor moves what does it do to the way the sculpture moves like will it you know how will this the sculpture kind of mold to the body and what more will that will that bring to it will it bring mm. out tactility for example which i've always really really wanted to bring out in my works um more because obviously touching the works and making the works is such a, a big part of uh, my artistic process and I always feel like I'm shortchanging my viewers when I can't <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of, I'm really interested and also I think the actors will give me a chance to take a step back because at the moment obviously I do that myself when I'm making the stop motions or when I'm photographing the works on the body, it's my body. Um, and I don't necessarily get to take that step back and see what, um, how, how my, how that sculpture is moving in real time with the human body, because I'm in it. Mm. So you get to kind of dislocate yourself a little bit if, if other people are embodying the artworks or kind of taking over in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about how the stop animation is like a different process or it's a different way of working for you. And I think that's really interesting because the exhibition is very much about encouraging people to think outside of their regular practice or to be really ambitious in terms of what they can deliver. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk to us a little bit about like, what is it that you want the show at Castlefield to achieve? Like, do you have ambitions or kind of missions in mind or are you just waiting to see what happens um well I think when I when I applied to the show I had it was quite an interesting point for me um because I just got back from a show that I'd done in the Ukraine as part of the swap UK Ukraine uh, swap UK Ukraine residency program I always get mm. tongue-tied um, <laughs> <laughs> um with the British Council and I'd worked with the Natural History Museum over there um, as part of the residency and basically I had all these kind of new ideas I've been making all these sculptures we like flew out there and, and installed the sculptures it's an amazing space and I had a whole wealth of other ideas of actually getting them in the space and then we were evacuated from the Ukraine and straight oh, into no. okay. and it was like this kind of I mean, I did install the show and, and there was a great VR, um, you know, VR walk around of it and stuff, which which was really, really brilliant. But 
But I think for me, there's always this period of probably about six months after a residency where you're like full of all ideas, like new stuff, stuff you want to try, mm. stuff you want to do. Um, like, you know, things that didn't work for that exhibition or in that residency and you were like problem solving um, and sort of and new ideas and all of these inspirations are like, oh, just like cooking inside you. Mm. Um, and But suddenly we were locked down and it was like, oh my gosh, there's no work, there's suddenly no output to this. And I think the Casper Gallery show came up around that time. And I thought, well, A, I mean, the first thing is I was trying out these new ideas within this kind of, you know, the context of staying at home, which mm. was a new context, really. I don't think I'd spent as much time at home ever <laughs> in my life before. Um, so the stop motions were coming out of that as a way of animating the works, photograph, like making wearable works was coming out of that. And the Cassville Gallery show really, I was like, oh, I'm going to go for this and I'm just going to say what I really want to do and risks, risks that I want to take and things that I want to try and stuff that I can't do at home. Um, and then obviously the second part of that is getting, you know, getting feedback and people seeing the work and talking to you about it. And, you know, there's, there's so, well, there's now kind of quite few situations where that can happen. Mm. And need, sort of needing that as you do need that input. So yeah, that that's what I that's what I was after. I want to showcase this kind of new way of working, and you know, an, an outlook for all of these new ideas, and also just try and get some critical feedback for it. It sounds like the lockdown has really had an impact on your practice in terms of like what's possible or what's kind of physically possible to achieve in terms of like making the artworks or even having a space to do that. Do you have an idea of like what your practice would have been like if it hadn't been for this? Like, can you imagine what would have happened after the residency if it hadn't been for COVID? Gosh, I don't know. In a strange way, I, in a strange way, I'm not sure maybe my practice, maybe it wouldn't have been so interesting. Mm. Um. I know that's, I mean, for all the kind of bad things about lockdown, in a strange way, I think sometimes that there has always, there has long been the potential for movement and wearing the works and things. But a lot of the shows that I was in, in the past, it's just been like, you know, it's got to be a straightforward sculpture show or or maybe the work was chosen from, from work that already existed. Mm-hmm. Um, or there was a kind of a, you know, set of like, oh, gosh, if you want to make them tactile, we've really got to work out a way of doing this in, you know, basically it was, it was quite difficult to make things tactile, um, without it having to be properly planned and and stuff like that. Um, and then, and obviously because most of my experience was the, the demonstrable experience for curators and things for me was being a straightforward sculptor and installation artist. So it's like, that's what you was expected. Um, and so I think I'd never really got the proper chance and I hadn't properly pushed for, mm. you know, for the opportunity to do that before. And I think, you know, and then, the, you know, you apply for things with the same stuff and you get the same stuff and it becomes a kind of a rolling thing where suddenly you're like, is my practice decided by me or has it just been? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, by the opportunities that I've, I've been given. 
Um, and I think lockdown sort of blew that out the water, really. Suddenly people were really, really open to stuff mm. that they probably wouldn't have been open to before. Um, I don't know what, I don't know if I would have got into stop motion had we hadn't had lockdown. And I'm so glad that we did, but I, I did get into it because it actually feels like a real logical next step mm. um, to my practice. The materiality that can come out in the stop motion is amazing and also I don't I mean I'm not very good with digital media at all and I I hate I mean I'm not I hate it I'm gonna just say that (laughs) (laughs) like I just it's not the way my mind works my mind works in very much like hands make stuff Mm. kind of way um so in terms of like you know building something in 3d or something would just just mess with my head and I don't know how to do it and I have so much respect for everybody who can. Um, but I think stop motion, it really is like you can sculpt and you just, you're sculpting almost like at a slow pace and then you're taking pictures of each step. Mm. Um, and that felt, yeah, I mean, it feels really natural next step. But I just, it's a step that I don't know if I would have made without lockdown. I think that's really interesting to think about how lockdown. And the time that we're in has really had an effect on the way that you work in a temporal sense. So kind of slowing down, everything around us has slowed down and really kind of seeing that difference in your art practice as well. Um, you talked a little bit also about like the flexibility or the difference in approach of maybe working with curators or galleries and them being a bit more flexible or a bit more open in terms of what they're expecting. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk a bit more specifically about how you approach your submission. So if there are people listening who have projects in mind or if there are open calls that are kind of open or available at the moment, like, is there anything, do you have any advice or is there anything that you would suggest or recommend that artists keep in mind, maybe specifically to COVID times or, or not, just whatever you think? Um, well, I, I mean, I think, We've had a chat about this over mm. email, but I, I feel like I have to say that I'm unsuccessful more than I'm successful. So <laughs> I feel like rather than advice, it's probably just, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, my first bit of advice is do it, just apply. You know, like even if you're feeling, even if you're feeling really rough, like just, just do it. Just keep putting yourself out there. I think is really, really important. Um, and secondly, I think being honest about what you want to do and not trying to second guess what a gallery or, or a selector wants you to do. Um, that's like, that for me has been a really valuable lesson because I think then when you, act, when you actually get it, and as I say, I'm, I'm unsuccessful more than I'm successful. <laughs> But when you do, you know, it's like, it's the, it's such a bonus when you've got it because you're like, it's something you are really, really hungry to do. Um, there's nothing worse than getting that small award that you put in as an afterthought, like to do a random project six months ago mm. that you actually really weren't that interested in at the time, but you kind of thought it fit in with what they're, you know, what they were asking for. And then they actually take you up on it and you're like, no. (laughs) Now you actually have to do the thing that you said you were going to (laughs) do. Exactly. So I think, um, yeah, like saying what you really, really want to do and and applying, doing it, actually doing it is really important. 
I think that's a great answer. I think really kind of focusing on what the intention is like of the artist. Um, and there are so many open calls that there will eventually be something that is just perfect for you instead of bending your practice a little bit or kind of trying to to shape yourself to fit into something that you don't actually want to fit into. Um, and I think the idea of talking about failure is really, really important. It's something that I've started talking about a lot more as well, because I think people only see your successes. They don't see all of the the jobs that you've applied for or the competitions that you've gone for or the awards that you've been nominated for. They only see the positive outcome of that. And I think like I'm in a similar position to you in terms of my curatorial career where I've applied for like endless jobs. I have applied for so many jobs, but you only think about or talk about the ones that you are successful in. So I think it's it's definitely like an important element or like an important part of the process to talk about the things that maybe didn't quite work out the way that you thought they would. <laughs> um, and I'm just looking at your website now and I'm looking at the project and thinking about back to when um, Matthew and I were selecting your work, really thinking about some of those ideas that are coming out around like as you mentioned like the tactility and there's something kind of vivid and a little bit disturbing about them and kind of disruptive as well they look very kind of seductive and i'm thinking about like this very large i think snail shell that i'm looking at that's kind of resting on um i guess your legs or someone's legs <laughs> <laughs> And there's something very kind of like slick and shiny about this. And it's it's definitely um, provoking like a lot of feelings of like discomfort or something being just slightly off kilter a little bit. And I know that one of the themes that you're interested in your work is around horror. And I'm really interested in the idea of how you capture the idea of horror in photography or in visual culture. Do you think you could talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, I mean, so this is, it's an interesting one because I think horror, like the more of a fan you are, the bigger horror, the horror world is. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, as a genre, it, it I mean, first off, it sticks between all art forms from filmmaking, photography, sculpture, write, uh, literature, mm. um, and, you know, I'm, I'm probably broader than that. Um, and I think it's, basically it feels like it's the home or the melting pot of everything that doesn't conform to societal needs or like norms and i think but which is pretty much everything i mean i don't <laughs> i'm sort of, the more you go into it the more you find that like oh actually what does actually fit into societal norms what would somebody say you know what this is a hundred percent normal like i just don't know like and i think for horror for me because it it becomes that it just becomes so big when it's like that there's so many subgenres. like whatever you're interested in you'll probably find um a whole subgenre of horror about it uh, whether that's like office horror or <laughs> or nature horror or whatever and you'll probably find that the Mystonic institute of horror studies has also done a lecture on it so i think there's for horror for me is like because it is so huge in that respect the more you get into it the the, the more you unpack it the more there is um it's become a bit 
of a modern day folklore so you, you actually get to find out maybe the kind of everyday fears and anxieties of just everyday people like like yourself um and then through the kind of recurring motifs that you might see that don't stick to one art form you know you'll see a recurring motif like disembodied limbs or whatever in photography in sculpture in film um and you can start to really start drawing those together and seeing what they might say about the context in which they were made um and then there's the, the super scary thing of seeing how they will come back in waves and you you can kind of link two contexts so i don't so you might get people doing one particular form of a horror motif in like the 20s and suddenly it comes back in 2020 mm. um, and we realize oh yeah like spanish flu and <laughs> pandemic oh we've been here before <laughs> uh, yeah and i think so that that fascinates me about horror and that's why i'm interested in it um but i think also the thing that probably draws me back in terms of like the the visual quality of what I want to bring in my work is that mashup of like fantasy and reality, fear, anxiety, intrigue and attraction. And it all, it's all together. And that's, that's bonkers, but it's also really real. Like mm. I'll kind of watch, you'll watch a horror movie. And obviously like, I love my supernatural horrors. They're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like an atmospheric one is great. I also, I love it. But like a good monster, you want to see that monster, like regardless of how scary it is, like you want to see the like grim big teeth or like the kind of like bizarre head it's got on or how oozy it is or something. And you actually <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> like crave it to be like more extreme than that. Um, and it's not like it's, I don't know, you're like, you're scared and you're sort of in love at the same time or something really bizarre. Oh, that is such an interesting way of thinking about it. It's like this thing that is terrorizing you. You want to be able to visualize like exactly what it is that is haunting you or kind of chasing you down in a forest or something. Like, do you think there, do you think it's like having a sense of resolution in seeing the thing that is causing this much fear? Or is it, like you said, like this attraction to, I don't know, like find out more or to... I don't know put some kind of adjective or label on it i gosh i don't know i mean obviously a big thing within the kind of horror argument between academics is is there is obviously this like catharsis so mm. it's cathartic it's like especially if you're kind of anxious person <laughs> actually visualizing the thing that might be making you anxious you're just like well yeah for all i'm anxious in the real world it's never gonna be as bad as that right like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's pretty bad um, and I want to see it again. Um, so I think like there is that part of it, but I'm kind of interested in the like, the bizarre mashup of like, I don't even know what I feel because sometimes you sort of see these monsters and for all they're scary, but you want to see them, you want to see the ooziness. You, but sometimes you, it's like, you kind of recognize yourself in them. Like that they're, they're always quite human. Like usually more often than not, there is a human inside that prosthesis suit for one. So they're always going to be slightly of human. Mm, like scale or nature. Yeah. Like it's just a kind of a human on overdrive. And, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what it is, but there is something about 
that that part maybe makes it alluring but also just like they, they're quite often they are hybrids as well so there'll be sort of a part uh you know obviously usually part human part predator some sort of like big toothed animal <laughs> um and i think there's there's that aspect of like actually that hybrid is quite satisfying like seeing um oh god especially sort of like werewolf hybrids sometimes in prosthesis are like nuts <laughs> they're like so strange um but then it, you know then there's also like the lost boys and like the um the vampire prosthesis and they're like big kind of sweaty faces with like oh i don't know it's just so but there is something so satisfying and so alluring about it just that slight extension or like contortion of the the human body i'm um, so curious to know like what you think when you're wearing these things though because you're talking now from the perspective of someone who is like being from someone who is encountering a monster but what is it like when you're wearing your artworks or when you're directing other people and wearing your artworks like what is the the thought process there is it really different like being in the position of the monster or are you kind of empathizing and like bouncing around those different head spaces i think i think you probably hit the nail on the head with the bouncing around the different head spaces it's like, I don't know what I am. Am I the monster or not? Or like, is the maker the monster? Is the... <laughs> um, and I think in terms of the snail shells, like quite often when I make the artwork, I feel like I haven't gone far enough. Like I've not gone monstrous enough. And like the snail shells. But then another part of me is like, well, am I bringing out more of that alluring quality into sort of a, in a slightly more obvious way by not going that far? Like people... I've, people aren't fully repulsed, like they, they all have don't have an immediate repulsion in a way that they might do in a horror movie. Like it's probably that they would only think about afterwards that actually like they kind of wanted to see that monster, but some people might not question that at all. Um, and I think, you know, the giant snail, it is monstrous, but it's also totally not threatening. Like it's gonna come at you at like, one less than a mile. <laughs> one mile an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I think, so I don't know. I think I, I'm probably empathizing. I'm probably thinking about, you know, if these monsters, it's like monster, monstrousness is in the eyes of the beholder. Um, and I think it's much more nuanced. And actually, you know, a lot of these monsters, the way, the, yeah, the way that kind of like societal anxiety has contorted them makes is like your mind seeing something that's that's not there. Like actually, the reality of of these monsters would be that they were mm. they were just people trying to get by mm. <laughs> like day to day. And I think some of my sculptures try to bring that out a bit. Like you know, okay. To one person this is scary to another person you know it's just a snail trying to have a good time <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned before that you like you have really vivid dreams or that you're inspired by the dreams that you've had and i guess like in the dream world where anything can pop like anything can happen and we aren't bound by everyday laws of reality or possibility how do you bring that feeling into the work like is some, is that something that you 
aim to do or is it less intentional than that um i think it started as not being particularly intentional um i might have a series of dreams and then you know those things pop up in my work i told you um last time about the i sort of made a leg sculpture after having mm. a dream that i was a <laughs> trying to hide in me <laughs> um, which is which was like terrifying and I think it sort of stuck with me the kind of shock at myself um and then sort of made its way into my art with without me properly really thinking about it um I hadn't intentionally gone about and made the artwork I just made it and then was like oh my gosh I had that dream like I must have really worried about it um but I think for me but but now now it is intentional like quite often I will I'll, I'll write a sort of fi- I call them fictional diary entries which will be kind of my dreams but then I might I might sort of try and make more of a narrative out of them um but I think I probably like dreams in the same way that I like horror or I, to be honest it's probably horror that owes itself more to dreams than than <laughs> the other way around but like um I think because because there's basically a dream is just your brain ha- like making a mashup of like anxieties and preoccupations and there's a sort of a strange truth to it or albeit that you know it's it's delivered in a very bizarre way um but it's definitely your your mind mulling over things and sometimes it's things that you haven't even realized that you're particularly anxious about um, and the way that your your kind of mind will deliver that to you is in a totally bonkers way, um, which which I love. And then also I I love about dreams is they have their own logic, and I think a lot of a lot of the best horror movies also have their own logic. So and the best monsters do, and you don't and as a as a viewer and as the person in the dream, you just leave your real world logic at the door because there's no point like. There's no point going in and saying to a dream character, you don't make any sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's just, you just have to go with the flow. And I think interestingly in your dreams, you are also a dream character. Like you also have your own logic. Like if someone tells you that you forgot to take the cat for a manicure, you totally take it. You're like, oh, I'm so stupid. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love that element to it. And I think in terms of my work, I like to bring in this idea that you leave your logic at the door, like when you kind of come in to encounter the sculptures and, and the installations, it's like, there's no point thinking about the, you know, phys- how realistic they are or, um, or how possible they are. Like, you just have to be with them. Um, so that's, that's what I like to kind of bring in mm. with the dreams. It's definitely like an exercise in imagination, but also just in letting go and thinking like gravity doesn't exist here. Time doesn't exist here. Like the bounds of reality are just temporarily paused. And I think art can be a really fantastic way of kind of lifting you out of some of those constraints sometimes. I think that's, yeah, pretty impressive. And then I also, I have a question, but it's not a fully formed question. So let's see where this goes. But it's about the idea of you 
kind of photographing yourself and using yourself as a model and like wearing these slightly kind of gruesome or grotesque sculptures. And I'm curious to know, like, what are your thoughts on the relationship between photography and photographing the female body? But then again, from that, what is the relationship between the world of horror and women? So how women are viewed and how they're used in the horror world and how they're used in photography and whether, or just really what your thoughts are on that. Mm. So, well, I mean, I guess firstly, in terms of the photographing um, women in photographs, I think in terms of photographing my own body, I feel like that, that for me is, um, it, Basically, I've, I'm, I feel in ownership of my own body and it's like, I'm photographing my own body. I can do what I like with it, basically. Mm. I think, I, but I do, and you, I do find it uncomfortable seeing women objectified. Strangely, if, a, you know, if the same photograph was taken, but it was a, a man had put me in that position and told me I would feel very uncomfortable. Um, and yet doing it to myself, I don't. And I think it really is that sense of ownership. I am the author here. I can, you know, this is what I'm doing and I'm do yeah, this is my c consent and mm. um, I'm comfortable in this. And you can kind of, you know, I, I can talk myself into all sorts of incredibly uncomfortable positions to mould myself and things, but I'm doing it. And I think that's, that's the key part for me. Because um, I know there's obviously debates and stuff quite a lot about, Oh, you know, like selfies that women take of themselves and things, and you're like, you know what? A woman can do whatever she wants for to herself. <laughs> the problem is, is it's when it's done to her, mm. or when she's kind of ordered into that position. Um, that's when the problems are. Like, I don't, yeah. Um, and then in terms of like women and horror, actually, I've found like horror has been my place of of feminism. I think from from oh, a really so interesting. I know because because I know like quite a lot of um, obviously horror can get slammed for like female objectification like Final Girls blah blah blah, um, but actually I found that like from being very young and reading like I used to read I mean I I read horror esque books from like a super young age like Megan <laughs> Mob the worst witch blah blah, blah. so I. <laughs> <laughs> I always found there was Sabrina's of a Teenage Witch as well as on TV. Like I always found there was stronger female or like female characters that I could relate to more within kind of horror canons, mm. um, even from a super young age. So I didn't really, I didn't really relate to any other female characters. You know, any of the kind of more I don't know high schooly or whatever. Um, female characters were kind of on offer when I was a kid but I did really relate to these sort of like strange outsider type um, nuanced female characters that, that horror did offer um, and then that progressed to kind of horror books where there was a lot of like female authors where there wouldn't have been female authors in other genres perhaps I mean um, you know like Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles was a classic like teen yeah. fiction um, that kind of thing so 
I think, you know, like moving through to that and then obviously I later getting into kind of gothic literature, which is 50% female led. And that was within like a century of the witch trials. So I think that was a really subversive act of women at that time. Um, and so that, you know, suddenly it was like, oh, just really strong women were being kind of presented to me. And then, then I hit teenagehood and I got into like horror movies and, you know, on the kind of shelves of the rental places was like pretty woman and what have you was on one bit and then there'd be like a black curtain and behind that would be like <laughs> <laughs> all the horrors with like really in you know like ginger snaps and the craft and you know like really really stronger but like strange female characters not just kind of I don't know like rom-coms or like women trying to impress men but also directed by men really bizarrely um and then there was a lot of horrors that were directed by women that were totally mainstream, like um, American Psycho and the Pet Cemetery from the 80s. And, you know, and they were like really, they were like famous horrors. Mm. Um, and I think, and that sort of just continued as I got older, you know, like Angela Carter, Shirley Jackson, they were big horrors. And then like horror writers um, and then kind of, when I started to get into the academics behind it, suddenly some of the major things were, were, were by women again. So I was finding again, this kind of female cohort, like the, the you know, Miss Clonic Institute was set up by Kayla Janice, who wrote House of Psychotic Women. And then there was the Final Girls podcast, obviously, and Graveyard Shift Sisters and Barbara Creed's and Monstrous Feminine. And you were like, oh my God, you know, all of these women are so fascinated by, um, by horror. And it's, yeah, it really felt like this is, I found my girls. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is such a beautiful point to end on. I think there is just something really revealing about the idea that if you're not trying to conform to a very kind of narrow definition of what it is to be female or feminine you're somehow free to be everything or anything that you want to be as kind of demonstrated by all the the female characters and all these horror movies i that is definitely something that i hadn't really thought about before it hadn't really occurred to me in that sense but yeah absolutely kind of liberating to be in these horror settings and just i don't know being autonomous and being powerful and and somehow advocating for yourself. I think that's kind of, yeah, incredible and impressive. Mm. Um, well, again, thank you so much for your time. And just to remind everyone um, that your exhibition will be at Castle Gallery in May. And like we said, it all goes well, but we're really looking forward to seeing this in person and seeing the works kind of animated in, in every possible sense. So thank you again for your time. Oh, and thank you so much. And thank you for obviously the opportunity. Um, yeah. yeah, it was absolutely amazing. And lovely to chat to you. You too. <laughs>